the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The reason that people tend to rob us of joy is because we're self-centered. They say the wrong thing in in light of the fact that they've said things that go against us because they've said things that that bother our self-interest and self-centeredness and so forth. And so what's the message of chapter 2? The message is serve people. Stop being self-serving. Serve others and you'll maintain your joy. You'll have joy. We tend to think that there's joy if I just get this or if I just get my own way. True spiritual joy is a result of not getting but giving for others. That's really the message of chapter 2. Most people are on a quest for joy, but all too often we look for it in our circumstances, not knowing the truth that joy is an inheritance that any Christ follower can claim, regardless of our situation. Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible, and I think that is because of the way Paul repeatedly brought home the fact that we can and should rejoice in all circumstances. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff will continue taking us one verse at a time through Philippians as we move on to chapter 3. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His practical messages make the transition from pulpit to radio through the work of verse-by-verse ministries. The world is full of joy robbers. The first thing that happens when we are born is that a doctor gives us a smack to make us cry. Sometimes it seems like life is all downhill from there. Well, let's take a look at some of the things that can rob us of joy and see what we can do about them. Here is Pastor Steve. We have just sung that wonderful hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. And we have sung this stanza, too, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who for many years was a Presbyterian pastor in the city of Philadelphia and was a great Bible teacher, suggested that we write another verse for that hymn, and it would go something like this. When May 28th comes, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When May 29th comes, which would be Monday morning, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When final exam day comes, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When tax day comes, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Why can those days, which are ordinarily very tough days for us, why should those days uh, be days of rejoicing? Because the Bible teaches that our joy and our rejoicing has absolutely nothing to do with our circumstances. In fact, in spite of our circumstances, we should rejoice. You see, joy depends totally upon your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his unchanging character. That's what joy is wrapped up in. However, if our perspective about Christ is wrong, 
if our understanding about him and his word is inaccurate, if we have the wrong view of God's truth, if our thinking is fouled up theologically, then the joy that God wants us to have will be robbed from us. It'll be stolen from us. And that's why Paul wrote a letter to a church in the city of Philippi, which we call Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul wrote this letter to teach them primarily one thing. There are a lot of things that that intersect and interact with this one theme, but the basic theme of the letter to the Philippians is joy. Joy, it runs right through the letter, and every chapter you go to, which there are four, uh, relate in one way or another, some a little more directly than than other chapters, but relate in one way or another to the, the basic subject of of joy. And what he is dealing with are the things that that would rob us of joy. And so he is addressing the Philippians on how to maintain their joy, how to have joy and how to maintain it. And that's why throughout the letter you see the word mind or attitude, depending on what version you use, mind or attitude, because how I think determines how I see things and how I see things determines whether I will have joy or not. If I have the wrong view of something, the wrong attitude, the wrong mindset, then I will not have joy. It will be stolen from me. If I have the right view, if I have the right attitude, if I have the right perspective, if I have the right thinking, then I will have joy. And so in chapter one, Paul has addressed, and we have seen this, the the issue of uh, something that tends to rob us of joy. If we don't think properly about it and don't interpret it properly, we tend to have circumstances rob us of joy. And I'm talking about difficult circumstances. We all have difficulties. Job said that everybody born is born into trouble. Just as natural for sparks to fly upward, so Job said it was very normal and natural for people to have problems. You, you, uh, you, as soon as you come out of the womb, you've got problems. And so in chapter 1, Paul addresses that in verse 12. Now, nobody could have more difficult circumstances than he did. He was in a prison in Rome, actually under house arrest. He was on trial for a capital offense. He could have been killed for this. He doesn't have a whole lot of friends around. He's got jealousy of other believers in the city of Rome. He has just been under arrest, actually, for about four years. And he finally has arrived in Rome, two years, in a city by the name of Caesarea, which is on the Mediterranean coast in uh, northern Israel, and it's taken about four years for him to finally get to Rome, and he says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, and that's basically his message in chapter 1. I want you to know that you can rejoice because I'm rejoicing because I look at my circumstances and I say, you know, they may be difficult, but what's really important is how has the gospel been affected by my circumstances, and all All of chapter one is given over to joy in the midst of suffering, joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. But you've got to think properly about your circumstances, see them in light of how the gospel is progressing and how the Lord is being exalted. When we come to chapter two, we see something else that can rob us of joy, something we're all familiar with, and that's people. People rob us of joy, don't they? I mean, your day could be going great until you run into somebody who says the wrong thing. Your day can be wonderful until you meet up with somebody who just irritates you. Somebody who just has a knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. People tend to rob us of joy, at least our attitudes towards them. 
And so Paul addresses chapter 2 with the thought in mind, and I think the key verses in chapter 2 is found in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. The reason that people tend to rob us of joy is because we're self-centered. They say the wrong thing in, in light of the fact that they've said things that go against us because they've said things that, uh, that bother our self-interest and self-centeredness and so forth. And so what's the message of chapter 2? The message is serve people. Stop being self-serving. Serve others and you'll maintain your joy. You'll have joy. We tend to think that there's joy if I just get this or if I just get my own way. True spiritual joy is a result of not getting but giving for others. That's really the message of chapter 2. Now, we have turned the corner and we finally come to chapter 3. So let's, uh, let me read and you follow along, if you will. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, there's obviously much more that, that goes on, but we're only going to look at these first uh, three verses of chapter 3. You see, when you come to chapter 3, Paul is not leaving the, the uh, subject of joy alone. He starts out with, with a call to joy. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I'm telling you, it's a theme throughout. He is pressing home the point of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, why does he keep saying this? Because even though he's moving on to a new subject, a new difficulty, a new area that potentially could rob them of joy, uh, he wants them to understand that they should rejoice and not let this difficulty steal their joy. Now, what is the difficulty? The area, generally speaking, is false doctrine, heresy, false teaching, theological error. Something that you and I must understand is that the Bible often associates joy with an accurate understanding of the Word of God. When we teach the Bible week after week after week and you study the Bible, it is not simply that you want to understand God's Word just for the, for the academic stimulation. You want to understand God's Word for obedience. You want to understand God's Word, the accuracy of it for not only obedience, but glorifying Him, honoring Him, knowing who He is. But even beyond that, well, I should phrase it another way, not beyond that. In connection with that, a proper understanding of who God is will bring you joy. If you miss the boat on an important theological issue, and I'm talking about a, an essential doctrine, if you miss the boat on, on some critical areas, you'll miss the boat on joy. Let me show you what I mean. Psalm 19, verse 8 says this, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That is to say, when you understand the truth, the precepts, the teaching of God's Word, they will rejoice your heart. Your heart will rejoice. Psalm 119, which is all about the Word of God, if you ever wondered the priority of studying Scripture, 
then you, un- you need to read Psalm 119 because that's the longest chapter in the Bible and that is addressing one issue and that is the Word of God. It tells us the importance of Scripture. Psalm 119 verse 14 says this, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. The psalmist said, I rejoice. I rejoice in your word. Uh, It brings me great joy. And in the New Testament, Jesus spoke about sound doctrine, truth in connection with joy. In John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Why? He says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. In other words, what he was teaching them that night and other things, too, were to bring them joy. You cannot separate sound doctrine and theology from joy. If you're off on your doctrine, you're going to be off on your joy. So if God's truth brings joy, then error, if believed, will rob us of that joy. Why? Because it will teach us things that give us a distorted picture of the character of God, a distorted picture of our relationship with Christ and his pure character. And so back to Philippians chapter 3. As Philippians 3 opens up, Paul immediately addresses a serious error that the Philippian church uh, was being exposed to. And it's one, and this is very practical in principle, it's one that you and I are exposed to a lot. You and I are exposed to a lot. It is called legalism. The Bible refers to these people, and and I'll explain where they were coming from, as Judaizers. But I'm going to use the term legalism. But it's the same thing. Now, let me explain. In Paul's day, there were a number of heresies floating around the church. In fact, most of the New Testament letters are written to correct some error. And that's great for us because um, error never changes. Truth never changes, but error never changes. Satan, who is behind all error, is, is not very creative. He has error and he sticks with that. He calls it different names. It comes under different categories, but basically he's not too creative. And so the error in the first century is the same error by different names, in principle at least, that affect us today. And one serious error that the Philippians were exposed to is that, as I said, there were some Jewish people who intellectually acknowledged that Jesus Christ was Messiah. They they said, we accept that. I don't believe they were born again. I don't believe they were saved. But intellectually, they said, we can see it. We can see that the prophecies spoke of him. We agree with that. We agree with that. However, they didn't believe that salvation was strictly by grace through faith. They didn't believe that. They believed that faith was only a part of salvation, just a part. But it was also necessary to keep the law of Moses, to keep the Sabbath, men to be circumcised, obey the Jewish laws, all the laws, the ceremonial laws, the moral laws, all of them. In other words, they wanted Gentiles to become Jews first on their way to becoming Christians. Do you understand? Jewish people who said, look, the gospel is obviously going out to the Gentiles, and that's something new they said, although it really wasn't. The gospel has always been offered to all. 
But they said, God is obviously doing a work in the Gentile world, the Roman Empire, the Greek-speaking world, but they must become Jews first. And in their mind, becoming a Jew primarily meant going through the rite of circumcision in addition to keeping the other laws of Moses. But that was the main thing in their minds. In other words, it, it was as if someone said this. One Bible teacher says this. It was as if the door of salvation was opened by grace, but the screen door was legalism, Judaism. They wanted Gentiles to go through double doors. The first door was Judaism, and the second was Christianity. Now, I might add, it was their version of Judaism. It was not necessarily biblical Judaism. It was their version of it, their legalistic version. Let's look, and you should turn to um, Acts chapter 15, because in Acts chapter 15, we see the first council in church history ever. It was the first major issue that the church faced. You know what it was? Do Gentiles have to be circumcised before they can become Christians? In Acts chapter 15, Verses 1 through 6, this is, the, this is a major um, mark in Christianity. Had this not been resolved, you and I today would have thought we were compelled to keep the law of Moses. This is critical. This is not a, uh, a, an issue of liberty. This is as important as it ever gets. Chapter 15, verse 1, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were saying. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Paul stood his ground and he said, Never! Never, we will not bend on this. And Barnabas stood with him. And so the brethren said, listen, why don't you go down to Jerusalem, meet with the apostles, the other apostles, and get this straightened out. I mean, see, we look back 2,000 years and we say, of course, salvation is by grace through faith. But if you lived in that day and age, that was the critical issue. You didn't have 2,000 years of theology behind you. You didn't have a completed Bible. You didn't know doctrine uh, like you do today. And so, verse 3 says, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, those would be uh, other parts of Israel, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. That's the issue. You had certain people who were members apparently of the Pharisees, and those would be, if you've seen Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox Jews today, who we would call the Hasidim. Uh, they, they often, well, they do have the long payas, the long sideburns and so forth. And you see, uh, see them in large Jewish communities and uh, they're, they're dressed like they've come out of the 1700s. And that's because they really haven't changed the way they appear since the 1700s. But these, the Pharisees were the forerunners of the Hasidim. And ultra, ultra orthodox, and I can just imagine them standing up and saying, Paul, it's good, Gentiles are believing, but they've got to be circumcised. And Paul says no. And so the church is going to look into this matter, and they did look into the matter, and they agreed that, that Gentiles are saved the same way Jews are, by faith in Christ apart from good works. 
apart from good works. The real issue that you and I face today is, is not so much circumcision. I, I don't know people who run around saying you've got to be circumcised. But I know people run around and say, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you better be baptized. Listen, there are churches in our area that teach that. I have seen tracks on that. I have seen actually advertisements in newspapers on that. You see, the real question is this. Are we saved by grace alone or by grace plus religious works? That's the real issue. That's, that's what, what is at stake here. Is faith part of it or all of it? Do you enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father through Christ, by grace, which is, means God's undeserved favor, favor through faith in, in Christ and the shedding of His blood on our behalf? Or is that only part of the story? Do you have to add to it? Baptism, church attendance, religious service, kind deeds. That's what's at stake here. Let me, let me even stretch it a little bit further, the principle of this. Sometimes people who ought to know better are still shaky on this area of grace. And I'll give you some examples. If you've ever wondered in your mind or had somebody ask you this, could a murderer accept Christ a few minutes before execution and go to heaven? Of course. That's right. And if some, but, but wait a minute. But they've murdered. Then you don't understand grace. You don't understand grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Once you're saved, once you've accepted Christ, you're not going to go on murdering. But a murderer can accept Christ. Let me give another illustration of this. We hear about those who know Christ... They've walked with the Lord. They've shown evidence in their life. But something happens inside their brains. They give up hope. They're going through difficult times. They take their lives. They commit suicide. Someone says, could they have been saved? Could they be saved and take their lives? Sure. Was it right that they took their lives? No. It was murder. Were they saved? They accepted Christ. They were saved. But if you're shaky on that, if you don't understand that, then you really haven't settled the issue in your own heart about grace. You're still thinking about works. Now, where do works fit in? Let me say before going into this passage, works are the results of faith. Works and faith go together as James. That's the whole point of the book of James. James is saying this, if you've got the root, then we're going to see some fruit. Okay? That's what James is saying. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's salvation. But, J but Ephesians 2, 10 says that you were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That is to say that if you're really saved, it will indicate itself by your good works. But your good works could never get you to heaven. They're just the proof that you're going there. So I just want you to understand that. But when we're talking about about salvation, when we're talking about trusting Christ, the only work that enters into that is the work of Jesus Christ. He died for us. He rose for us. If I believe that and I'm trusting, and that's what I mean by belief, if I'm trusting him and him alone for salvation, the Bible says I am eternally saved. And that ought to bring us joy beyond expression. Joy is the thread that runs all through the book of Philippians. But if we think we need to do certain things in order to be saved, that will rob us of joy. What a thrill to know that all that is required has already been done for us. 
All that is left for us to do is trust in what the Lord Jesus did on our behalf. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue to share about the relationship between legalism and joy as he continues this series from Philippians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there for over 27 years. His expository or verse-by-verse teaching ministry has expanded to include these daily Bible classes of the air produced by verse-by-verse ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. Besides learning more about our ministry, you will also find links to download or listen to many of our broadcasts, including today's. That address again is versebyverseradio.org. You may like to hear the entire message from which today's class was taken. If so, give us a call and you can order either a CD or an audio cassette tape. Our number is 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again, 727-441-1714. Do you know what the Bible is really about? It is about grace, God's grace. Because without His grace, there would be no gospel. Please join us for the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve has some helpful thoughts to share with us about grace. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.